I'm excited about Baptism Sunday, and I'd like us to jump into the Word together. And Before we do, I'd like you to think about this thought for a moment, if you would. I believe that God was sure of the depth and the expanse of our separation from Him. God was sure of it. He was sure of our inability to even be aware of our disconnectedness from Him. He was aware that you and I could do nothing about it. That we couldn't repair it. That we couldn't fix it. Uh, Our inability to grasp how desperate our condition is. And that He was so willing to do this. That God, in all of His ability, and all of His authority, and all of His intention, that the Father God had a plan. That He had a plan of intentionality, and of purpose that I shared about a little bit last week, and I want to continue in today, that He could harness the forces of nature. That He could actually be behind the events of human history all of this time, building up so that at one point in history, at one point in time, in a culminating event that's yet to be continued, that Jesus Christ could come. That the Father would send a willing Son who would, as full of the deity as He was, that He would leave that and He would become human. That He would become like you and I, that he could live a life that you and I couldn't live. That he would willingly die a death that you and I could not die. And that he would willingly raise from the dead and give life to us in a way that nobody had ever experienced in history before. That his life would be raised from the dead and it would mean life more abundantly to those of us who choose Him. Why did God go through this extent? Why would God go through such extreme conditions in His Son? And such intentionality and limitations, even though He's God, to depths we're going to read about here in a moment in Scripture. There's only one answer. One I shared about last week. It's because God planned it that way. Because God had a plan that he was accomplishing and that he still is. And it's also because the son was willing. And it's the Holy Spirit who's still at work today applying that work of the cross and of the resurrection to your and I's heart today. It's the Holy Spirit that's revealing it to us, that's showing us, that's empowering us, that's leading us in the resurrection of the Jesus Christ. And there's no other way. There's no other way. Sin is a core disease at the center of every human. It's a core disease for a moment, I want us to think about, that's beyond our power to escape it. Sin is a disease that's beyond our own power to escape, to fix, to heal. And it's a kind of disease that, we are, that none of us are exempt from. None of us are inoculated from. We're all subject 
to the power and the separation of sin, which is a separation mostly and primarily from God, most importantly. That sin is what separates us, and God in his great foreknowledge from the beginning of time before the foundations of the world had you in mind with a great plan to rescue you out of your separateness, out of your separation, out of the condition that sin had left you in. Sin damages every aspect of our personhood. It steals our peace. It ruminates in our mind, in our soul, in our spirit, in our emotion. It tumbles our thoughts and causes us to be self-centered, self-focused, selfish in our intentions and our will. It robs us of contentment, of happiness, and it causes us to be rebellious. It reduces all of us in thinking that we're so wise and so full of knowledge, even in our experience, it sh- sin shows us to be fools. It makes a fool out of us. And it ultimately leads to death. Left alone to rot and to destroy us and to separate us from God, it leads to death. You and I, we know that we can run from certain situations. We can run from certain relationships. We can even change locations and we know even the natures of sin where we once lived and relationships, some of the closest we've ever had with parents, with family, with close relationships, with sin present, with sin existent, with sin unleashed, ravages those closest relationships and it destroys them. And even though we have the thinking, we can start over, I can start a new family. I can move to a different location. I can try again, I can start again, and it'll be different. We know the effects of sin in our lives. It's like a vice grip. It's like a moral vice grip that grips every person, and it grips our thoughts and causes us to stay in the same circular tunnel of thinking. It grips and constricts our hearts, and our, even the best of our desires, sin can come in and pollute and warp and thwart. It sounds pretty ugly. And in Genesis chapter 6, is some of the best verses, I don't know verses in scripture, that describe what I'm sharing with you, the effects of sin and the long-lasting duration or course of sin in our life left to go rampant. In Genesis chapter 6, it's written, in Genesis 6 verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart, man's heart, was only evil continually. What a sorrowful situation and description. In verse 6, it says, And the Lord regretted, that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. A deep kind of sorrow, regret, and grief. The effect of sin, number one, on people, it says it was deep, deep, heartfelt. That sin was, sin's not just a bad behavior, it's a condition of the heart. 
It's not behaving poorly or rudely or not accomplishing the items on a list or acting in a certain way. It starts with a condition of the heart that has to be fixed. That's why we can't free ourselves. It's why we can't accomplish it on our own. We can't behave good enough because that doesn't change the sickness or the disease in our heart. And sin's effect is all-encompassing. It affects every single one of us. Every intention, only evil continually. This passage tells us more. It doesn't leave off there. It's just one of the earliest versions in the Bible, in the first book of the Bible. Near the front, it's just another example and another occasion. But in verse 8, it says, in verse 8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So there was a way, there was a fix. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor, that's a rich word of pleasure, of there had to be an existence or a healing to the relationship and to the separateness and in order to be, in order to have favor in the eyes of God. And how could that be possible? Only if God had a plan. Only if God took initiative. Only if God stepped out and made a way. And God did and Noah decided to sign up for that agreement. Sign up for something that he hadn't even conceived, hadn't even experienced on the earth before. It never rained. There wasn't such thing as, not just such a thing as a flood, but there wasn't even such a thing as a rain. But Noah chose to believe God. Though he hadn't experienced something, his heart had changed and he had found favor with God. Despite the sorrow on the earth, the sorrow and the remorse in God's heart, God decided not to just be a judge, not to just speak in that kind of way, not to just be limited by those kinds of feelings, but God chose to do something because God had a plan. And Noah became willing. There was a sorrow of grace where God decided to break through with grace and with forgiveness and with favor and to break into Noah's life and his family with grace and favor. God didn't just choose to punish sin or to start over in a way at the time, but God chose to answer with grace and with favor. And through that, he raised up a whole nation, a whole people group, where one day his son would come in the human form and in the likeness of you and I and willingly live and give his life in the cross continually remembering how desperate you and I are of that grace that comes from God, which the cross represents to this day and will forever represent grace, the grace of God upon our life. And it looks like favor at times and love and forgiveness and mercy. It's grace. It's God's grace upon our life. I want to direct your attention to the screens for a little video testimony. This comes from a church of our friends in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. This is a family uh, that belongs to the church there in Chapel Hill, Grace Church, where my friend Pastor Kendrick leads the church. And 
Pastor Jonathan on staff there uh, is a part of the video and the baptism that happens as well. But this is just a great story. It's the church that Clem, who just recently spoke here and was uh, with us, that his family uh, attends and is a part of. Would you take a look at the screen for this great video? My name is Garrick Sevilla. I'm Carla Sevilla. He was always very amenable to go to church with me um, on Sundays and the boys. I wasn't fully yeah. invested. I did it to honor my wife. We'd only planned on having three boys, but then the house was really quiet, and we decided to try for one more, and we got blessed with baby Carl. Shortly after, you know, having Carl, we decided, you know, let's maybe see if we could have another one. We were so blessed to get um, pregnant very easily. Quickly decided on a name. We're going to name her after my mother. Her name is Lucena Alcaraz Sevilla, and we're going to call her Lucy for short. We were homeschooling during that time because of the pandemic, and it was just something great to all talk about. We had just gotten back uh, from doing gingerbread houses with the boys, and we were getting ready to decorate the Christmas tree, and I just wasn't feeling good. I was 32 weeks, so I was like, oh, well, maybe it's just Braxton Hicks contractions. Went to bed, but then I just kept feeling, like, worse, and then I realized these are getting a lot closer. We have to go to the hospital. This is not normal. I could barely even get to the delivery hall, and we, we had her in the, basically in the hallway of Duke. And she didn't make it. The nursing staff at Duke was amazing. Did everything they could to try to keep her alive. She only took one or two breaths. I couldn't let her go. Like, I just held her and I... But I cried over her body for just hours. We held her so long. She was so beautiful and so perfect. Yeah. So the, the first thought I had was, you know, maybe God was, was punishing me. And then the, the next thought I had was, this pain is really intense. It's the most intense pain I'd ever experienced. Doing life my way wasn't working, and it wasn't enough to overcome this, this pain. That was, that was the first time in my life that I knew I had a Savior, and I, I cried out to Jesus. Jesus, I need you. I, I surrender, like I lay it all at your feet. I will do my life your way. But I, you know, I, I'm on my knees now. Just please take this pain away from me. He said, and this wasn't, you know, some people have very clear visions. Some people have, you know, hear God's like voice. This wasn't a voice, it was a vision. This was just a conviction. And the conviction was, Proclaim me as Lord of your life, publicly. That's what you do. That's your purpose in life. And so I decided to get baptized. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Yes, I have. And have you made a commitment that you're going to follow him for the rest of your life? Yes, I have. Based on your profession of faith, it's my honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Like looking back at my life, what a fool. I thought I was wise, but I was so foolish. We had this material abundance, we had all these things, and we didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And that was missing. That no car, no house, no job, none of that can fulfill. And it just takes an experience that's, a, that's way more than you can handle. The moment that Lucy died, I would have given it all away. away. I would have given it all away if there was someone who could take that pain from me. And I realized there was. <laughs> there was somebody who could take that pain from yep. you. You can put that pain on him, he will heal your heart. Taking seriously what Jesus says about the standard of righteousness. Okay, Jesus said that, but you know, does he really mean it? I'm pretty good. It's like, no, Jesus really means it. And we all fall short of that standard. It's impossible to have that level of righteousness without Jesus. This life we live in where we had this separation from God, we turned away from God, Jesus bridged that gap. He's never gonna change, that's the best. I can trust him with every decision I, I make about my life. And it's that confidence. It doesn't change, you know, like what, what's the new fad in parenting? We don't care. Right. What does the Bible say? <laughs> what does the Bible say? Right. So I, I, I don't know how you can be hopeful in today's world without having a relationship with Jesus. So we have really good news to share. Since losing Lucy, we have been praying and God bless us with another child and we are really excited because not only is this going to be a healthy baby but it's going to be another girl. I'm excited to share her with the world and share what God has done in our lives. What a beautiful story of redemption because God had a plan. One of the beautiful elements to me in that is Lucy also fulfilled her plan. Her purpose in life, in existence, in God's creation, that her daddy one day, Garrett's going to stand before Lucy one day and say, thank you. Thank you for bringing me to my most important point in life. And I get to spend the rest of eternity with you. Wow. That moment that I realized the pain was so big and so deep and I would have done anything to trade it all and give it all away. And then I realized there was someone I could give that pain to. And that he had called me with purpose in my life. There's so many messages packed in there. So many messages I had to and I wanted to share that with you. As we get ready to celebrate these three people in this service in addition to the three people in last service who are taking that stand as well, who are saying, it's important to me that people know that Jesus Christ is first and foremost in my life, that my purpose, my existence belongs to him. And that they're willing to stand before us, their church family, for us to celebrate them and their decision that they're making. I want us to look into 1 Peter chapter 3, you can turn there with me if you'd like. 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter's writing. And in his earlier parts of his writing, he's writing about people 
who have been caught up in worldliness, who's been caught up in their thinking, in their tumbling thinking, who've been caught up in their hearts and their emotion and the treachery of their sin and in their desire to leave that life and to head into a new direction and that one of a commitment to Jesus Christ. Peter says this in verse 18, he says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That was the plan. That's God's intentionality for you and you and you for every one of us in this room. Every one of us to ever walk this globe. That's God's plan and intentionality. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive... He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. There's a deep message there that we don't have time for today. But in verse 20, it says, To those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Verse 21, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Amen? I want to look at three truths that Peter brings out in these verses. Three points that he makes. But before I do that, I want to say... I want to bring some context to what Peter's talking about. Peter is talking about an adult baptism. He's talking about a conscious decision that these people have made to leave this life and to grasp and walk towards and lean towards and to believe in this life of the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's a different, it's a change of heart, not behavior. It's not like when some of us, myself including, have been sprinkled and dedicated and our parents have tried to make the best decision and have the best intentions at the very beginning of our life. It's not that kind of baptism. It's the kind of baptism we're celebrating in these three people today where they have made a decision because something has quickened in their heart that they want to live in a new way, a new life that's dependent upon the lordship of Jesus Christ. The first thing Peter points out is that it's not a washing of the exterior. There's particles that are going to get left in this tub. There is a washing that happens. Don't get hung up on that. But much bigger than that, more than we can describe, more than we can attest to or visualize ourselves. It's not like going to the 3D movie theater and getting a pair of glasses that you can see dimensions. But there is something supernatural. There's something spiritual that happens here. And it is a cleansing of the soul, of the mind, of the heart that the Spirit of God is a part of and that he's doing in these people. It's a spiritual cleansing. Number two in verse 21, I like how Peter puts it when he says it's a pledge of a clear conscience to God. That is a clearing, that's a wiping, that's a washing, clean. 
It's like the root word for that word pledge is exemplified like in a contract or in a business deal where maybe you have applied for a loan before, say an auto loan or a mortgage loan, and there's pages of the agreement, right? And when you get ready to sign your name at the end, no matter how much you understand or you don't understand, no matter how much somebody's explained to you or not, you're signing your name that represents, I agree to this. I say yes to this. It's an agreement. And so this is a pledge that God's initiated, that he's given, that he's made the terms for, and he's saying, this is what happened. And the Holy Spirit illuminates that to us, and he's saying, do you agree to the terms? And these three people today, like some of you in this room, are like, yes! And you get to be the beneficiary. You get to be the one who lives in a good, clear conscience towards God because God did all the work. Because he did it perfectly and intently for you. Number three is, he finishes with, that it's dependent upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just the life of, not just his death on the cross, but because he rose again. Because after three days, he resurrected and he appeared and he appeared and he appeared numerous times over those 40 days, showing himself as the resurrected man, the one and the only who resurrected from the dead for your life and for life more or most abundantly. I have a question for you as we close and before I introduce these people who've made this decision and who we're going to celebrate in baptism, I want to ask you this question today. Do you need more? I hear Peter, and we looked at Paul's writing and Paul's message last week out of Acts chapter 2 on Easter, and it, it's left a mark in me saying, do we need anything more than the resurrection of Christ, than the cruel cross experience of Christ and the power of his resurrection and the testimony of people for hundreds of years and the representation of grace that the cross perfectly and powerfully shows to each one of us, how much more do we need to convince us of our incredibly deep need for a relationship with Jesus Christ, for a personal relationship with God to have a clear conscience, for us to be engaged, for us to take initiative and to engage in relationship with him. Do you need anything more to convince you how deep your need for grace is? I would encourage you, if you have never done it before, today is an important day. And that's an important question, asking you how much more do you need? What more does God need to do on his end, in his effort, to show you that you can have relationship with him, I would encourage you to consider it. To share with someone here in the room if you're reaching that point. Maybe you know somebody here. Maybe you don't. I'm certainly willing. I'd love to visit with you and hear some of your thoughts and where you're at in your relationship and your consideration of God. These people don't need any more. They're ready to be baptized. They've brought family and friends and they want to declare. In the first service, we baptized Tim Brenimer and Dominic Chafee and Berlin Malinsek. And in this service, we get to celebrate Karen Hardy Farrow. And we get to celebrate her decision 
that she's continuing to walk out, not for Mount Helena Community Church, not for her family even, but for her forgiveness of sin and her personal relationship with Jesus Christ, for the resurrected Jesus Christ who still lives in her today. And we get to celebrate in the same way. Annabelle and Ivy Shock. We get to celebrate their decision and their commitment that even at 13 and 12 years old, they don't want to live for themselves. They want to live for God's favor upon their life. Not when they're older, not when they're parents and grandparents like Noah was, but they want the favor of God upon their life today. Church, are you ready to celebrate with them? Yes, yes. To do that, we're gonna go back into worship. The worship team's coming on up and we believe that it's a celebratory experience. And so we're gonna celebrate with them and uh, we're gonna welcome the three of you to come on up over here onto this side of the stage, if you would. Uh, Karen and Annabelle and Ivy and as we head into this next song of worship we'll just welcome each one of them into the tank here and pray over them uh, before we baptize and and you get to see the beginning of their new life as they're washed clean and clear Uh, thanks for being here and thanks for continuing to participate with us in worship worship team it's all yours He's done great things for you and I, for the three of them, but for each one of us. If you're a guest here this morning, I want to just let you know that there's a welcome packet available to you at the Welcome Center. If you'd like to grab it for more information about Mount Helena, there's also a Connect card in there. We'd appreciate it if you'd fill it out and you can return it in the giving stations. But most of all, we're grateful that you're here, that you joined us on a Baptism Sunday. Have a great week. Thanks for being here.